0: Welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts an Evergreen Podcasts Network. I'm the titular
1: Sean. And I'm
0: the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, dear wife. (laughs) Hi. Uh, Listener, our studio is still under construction this week. Uh, We're hoping to be back.
1: It's constructed. It just needs to finish being painted
0: yeah uh, but the the painting project is still underway and uh so yeah but it sounds it doesn't it sound cooler if like we're of doing course big but it's
1: misleading we're about facts here
0: the big renovation is underway <laughs> in the studio and so we are uh we're back upstairs recording this one from um you know where the magic happens no oh. the podcast magic sean in the case of tonight Because we are taking a voyage, in our minds, Carrie, to the City of Lights. Mm Mm-hmm. Gay Paris. Indeedy. Uh, So, uh, in this case, though, Carrie, maybe less a City of Lights and more a City of Bones?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Certainly underneath the the streets of Paris.
0: Uh, Tell me, what inspired this episode? Why are we spending the next hour and change talking about the Paris
1: Catacombs? Um, well, specifically with this week, it's because of TikTok. But um, let's go back. Let's go back into ancient history to before TikTok. Yes, way before TikTok way before clocks, even. Sundials? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, The fact that we as humans bury our dead is one of the first things that set us apart from the animal ancestors that came before us in the long span of evolution. So probably before sundials, Sean.
0: Yes, I guess so.
1: Intentional burial, as it's called, along with the burial of grave goods, items buried along with the body was also one of the earliest forms of religious practice, as according to scientist Philip Lieberman, it signifies, quote, a concern for the dead that transcends daily life. The Neanderthals, a close relative of modern humans, were likely the first human species to practice intentional burial. Some of the earliest archaeological examples found so far of burials um are believed to be from as far back as 78 to 100,000 years ago.
0: Well, the uh, the Neanderthals are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um you think of them as like cavemen, but they but they kind of um you know, they were around recently enough they kind of had uh culture and they were yeah. they they might have been about as smart or maybe a little smarter in 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 cases than uh Homo sapiens, but uh I don't know, it seems like Homo sapiens were better at murdering.
1: Or surviving. I mean, you can think of it in in a more positive way. Sure. Sure you could. (laughs) It goes beyond protecting the public from decay. The World Health Organization itself actually only advises that bodies carrying infectious diseases strictly require burial. Um Rather, our burying the dead is a demonstration of respect for the dead, with different cultures and religions undertaking that demonstration in different ways. Now, Sean, as you know, I have long been fascinated with burial customs.
0: Uh, yes, you need to stop the car at every cemetery we pass, <laughs> take a uh, take a couple of photographs, rubbings are destructive, so we don't do those.
1: Only if we know what we're doing and only where it's legal. Um, but yes, this interest stems from, as you mentioned, my passion for cemeteries and funerary art, which of course made me a big hit with the boys growing up, not to mention slightly saner family and friends, (laughs) but it's the fact that quite literally burying our dead, and I use the term burying loosely, uh, meaning here more of an intentional disposal of remains after death, um... But this has become kind of a part of our DNA, one of the things that links us to the very earliest forms of humanity. And to me, that is just so fascinating. There's something about it, about this practice that I find kind of beautiful, um, that no matter what has changed, what technology has emerged, how people have evolved, humans, well, they've always been humaning. Life and death are the only thing that connects us to all that have come before, and all that will come after, at least until some freak figures out the uh, secret to immortality. And I don't know, we all head towards some sort of apocalypse, maybe mm. AI and all that.
0: So, like some kind of a like a Zoroastrian in in, <laughs> in the year one thousand, uh, laying his dead out his uh, his dead friend out on like a, a rock somewhere mm-hmm. under the sun, um, or maybe they burned them. I don't. Know. They were big on fire. Uh, Today, maybe maybe you have your ashes fused into a little tiny diamond, sure. but, it, but it's all coming from the same place.
1: Yes. Death is one of the few things that has been a constant in the entire history of the world. And how we grieve and memorialize our dead is just a mere step behind that inconstancy. But that grief, though horrible to experience, shows us a beautiful thing that we are capable of as humans, and that is love, or at least care. We grieve what we lost because it was once loved, and in that way, it becomes one of the purest expressions of love we experience. As it was so eloquently stated on WandaVision of all places, what is grief if not love persevering? And that's the reason I find walking through graveyards and putting antique mourning artwork on my home's walls peaceful and beautiful, rather than scary or overly morbid, though a lot of People visiting might feel that way. I
0: thought you were going to say that was why you find WandaVision uh, peaceful and beautiful. (laughs)
1: Well, that's a whole different story. But instead of fearing death, as we all naturally do, this is kind of my way to try and understand it. And humanity's relationship to this final event that we all experience, but in its nature, we could never really share our experience of. So it will always be this grand mystery. And I think the history of human burial can tell us as much about life as it does about death. And here we go, Sean, we're we're coming back to the topic. One kind of burial location really sort of sums it all up, and that is the ossuary, also known as the catacomb.
0: Uh, Yes. Uh, So is there a distinction here or not? Because I think of an ossuary as like... Wow, there would be bones everywhere. And a catacomb, maybe there's just some corpses stuck in the walls every couple of feet.
1: Yeah, so there's a few different ways that you can define it. Um, ossuaries and catacombs, which are also known as charnel houses, I, I believe, I haven't have seen that as much. But um, these are sites made to serve as a final resting place of human skeletal remains. Um, so very specifically bones and in a different way than the standard graveyard. Um, They are frequently utilized where actual in-the-ground burial space is limited. Ossuaries mainly comprise above-ground burial sites. Um, This could include churches with, you know, uh, displays of bones and all those things. And catacombs often consist of below-ground ones. So that's kind of the main delineation there.
0: Uh, These two things together uh, make up... I don't know. Half of the dungeons in Diablo (laughs) (laughs) games are like you know the blighted ossuary. Yes. The festering catacombs.
1: Yes. And uh, catacombs should not fester. They are just bones. (laughs) There should not be any rot going on in there. If they're festering, something's wrong.
0: Well, sure. Baal has has arrived.
1: Well, yes. Now, often a body will be buried traditionally just after death in a temporary grave, and in the case of an ossuary. Um, it will be removed after full decomposition after some years to be placed in a new above or below ground space. Because only bones are present in these spaces, much less area is taken up by remains, and often those skeletal remains are arranged in either an efficient or an artful way to display to the public.
0: So either they're um either they're making a little little sculpture out of you or they're really just piling you up so they can shove another guy in next to you?
1: Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> we'll be talking about ossuaries and catacombs today and the the main one we're talking about the the real focus here is the paris catacombs and the dark history behind this fascinating location. A
0: dark history, you say? That's, mm-hmm. That sounds like our bailiwick, Carrie.
1: Mm-hmm. As well as the tragedies that have befallen those even now who dare to venture into the catacombs unprepared.
0: Very exciting. So uh, the, the Paris catacombs, can, you, can one go there? Can, can you take a tour?
1: Yes, you can. Um, We'll get into kind of the specifics later. But uh, yeah, you can visit the main part of the catacombs where all the bones are displayed. And uh, you should only visit on an official tour. And we'll, we'll talk about why. Uh, partial research for this episode comes from the book, The Empire of Death, A Cultural History of Ossuaries and Charnel Houses by Paul Kudinaris, a book that I treated myself to this weekend. It was a bit of a splurge. It's a coffee table book, a lot of lovely pictures of bones. Um, but the only kind of thing that like, I would be like, yeah, treat yourself, girl, you know?
0: Um, it's a beautiful volume uh, (laughs) for certain values of beautiful.
1: Yes. There are a lot of jewel-encrusted skeletons in it. But the actual Paris catacombs, which is referred to more specifically at, as the uh, Denfer rochereau Ossuary, and uh, pardon me, listeners, I took Spanish in high school. <laughs> I've never been to France. Um, my French is very poor, and I'm going to be saying a lot of French words and French names this episode, so I'm just going to say sorry ahead of time. But um, this Part with the actual bones, spans an area of nearly three acres under, you guessed it, the city of Paris, France. But this is only a small part of a gigantic network of underground tunnels and mines that spiderweb the entire area beneath the City of Lights. Mines? Mm-hmm. Now, you might hear the fun Snapple fact that the entire city of Paris stands over old bones. And it might kind of in a way in in which like any city does, like New York or whatever.
0: Because people have died just everywhere you walk.
1: Of course. But specifically as in terms of catacombs filled with bones, that's not true. Well, most Snapple facts aren't, right? (laughs) Fun Snapple fact for you. uh,
0: It was, Carrie. It it shook my world, and I'm sure other people have experienced this too. I once got the Snapple fact, 50% of Snapple facts are false. Oh. Which means that at least some of them are, because even if they're not 50%, then that one was a lie. Well,
1: I think that popular quote-unquote fact about everyone eating like eight spiders a year in their sleep or whatever, that they just crawl into your mouth or something, that was like totally false, and they just made that up. Yep. Snapple. They'll get you. It's actually 80 spiders. Now I don't know how much. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so it's the bones part is is just a small portion. The rest are sort of these empty and abandoned or possibly abandoned tunnels. But Parisians and tourists alike will often refer to the whole area as the catacombs rather than just the actual ossuaries themselves. So on TikTok, you'll see people saying like, there's catacombs beneath the whole city of Paris and there's bones everywhere, but it's not like it is in the public part. Um, There might be like a bone here or there, but there's not stacks of bones all over the place. Sure, but there's tunnels underneath the whole city, which is also true of New York. Yes. Probably
0: London. Yes,
1: I think Edinburgh. Anyway, I digress. Despite only taking up a fraction of the space occupied by subterranean paths beneath Paris, the Paris Catacombs still managed to hold the remains of more than six million people. By virtue of their skeletal space saving, so in that small chunk is six million people. It's not spread out, which is even crazier. It's even you know more impressive to me.
0: Impressive, I, I guess. Uh, yeah, sure. If, if it's impressive, <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's an engineering feat because this was done in the early 1800s.
0: I don't know if if, if, it, if you just give me bones of people, I bet you can cram up a whole bunch of people into one barrel.
1: But it took a long time. We'll, ta- we'll talk about it. <laughs> now, the earliest above ground burial sites in Paris were to the southern outskirts of the Roman area left bank of the city or left bank city. I wasn't quite clear on that. But this area was abandoned after the end of the Roman Empire by resident Parisians in favor of the marshy right bank. So from the fourth century on, the Paris right bank settlement established itself with cen- cemeteries located near its center including the most central of these, which was a burial ground around the 5th century Notre-Dame-des-Bois church. So this is what would become Paris as we kind of know it.
0: And that's not Notre-Dame Cathedral, or it is? Probably not. Probably not. Because it's specifying.
1: By the time the area became associated with the Church of the Saints' Innocents around 1130, the burial ground was already filled to overflowing, and to make room for more burials, the remains of those long dead were exhumed and their bodies stacked into the roofs and walls of charnier galleries or charnel houses uh, built inside of the cemetery walls.
0: Wow. How long have these bodies been hanging around?
1: I mean, they're, well, they were buried but this um, this burial ground was already around for several centuries by this point.
0: Right. So it's not like, you know, I, I came to visit mom, but they put her downstairs now.
1: That, I mean, eventually it would be, but um, she would have had to have been fully decayed by that point. Because, again, ossuaries, just bones.
0: Oh, yeah, I understand.
1: <laughs> just, I can't emphasize enough. They should not be, what, it, what was the word, fetid? Uh, festering festering they should not fester
0: they should be fetid we should celebrate our ossuaries (laughs) certainly
1: (laughs) well that's faded fetid i think is f-e-t-i-d which i think is also oh a a fetid ossuary sure (laughs) a stinky situation as the centuries continued on, funerary art was added to make the surroundings even spookier, including a famous 16th century statue of a rotting corpse carved by sculptor Germain Pilon, which bore the motto, and this is in English, no mortal can escape me. All are, de- all are destined to become food for worms. It was carved in English? no i'm saying the english oh i
0: see yes no i knew that was english
1: have yeah tell me that yeah and it's anyway that's pretty metal
0: that is super metal but also a weird thing to put in a it's a weird thing to put in a cemetery especially one where there's only bones people be spooky but, like, here's what's not happening here. Like, the, you know, the upside of the ossuary format is that you're not dealing with all the rot.
1: Yeah, but you're still at a place of death. So I think it's kind of all like, we all die, you know, just in the most metal way you can say that possible.
0: As you are, I was, as I am now, so you shall be.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, running out of space has long been a problem when it comes to burial sites in the most populous or perennial cities in the world. In our Patreon mini-sode, Portuguese Legends and Lore, which featured my mom Maria as our resident Portuguese expert, we discussed how that affects specifically the city of Lisbon, Portugal's capital, and even more specifically how it affected even my family, Now, the area of Lisbon was first settled circa 1200 BC, brought under the rule of the Kingdom of Portugal in 1147 AD, and made the capital city of Portugal in 1256. So needless to say, it has a lot of history and millions upon millions of deaths within its walls over the span of multiple millennia of people living there. Mm -hmm. Now, in our mini-sode, we discuss how that impacted the burial sites in Lisbon, and namely how nowadays you're automatically buried Buried only temporarily, and then you're dug up and put in a drawer or other storage afterward when you're just bones, simply because there's not the space to bury everyone in the ground traditionally and perpetually anymore. Now, on the mini-sode, we discussed how that funky little rule impacted my family in one very darkly comedic way, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you'll have to head over to Patreon to find out the details.
0: Yes, um, but but at least they they have the um, courtesy to wait until you're just bones. Um, as we talked about in our death of Mozart episode, the custom uh, in Vienna back at that time, uh, when Mozart died was, you know, if you were really rich, maybe you could pay for a permanent plot and otherwise you were gonna get dug up in I think it was 10 years and just m- dumped somewhere. We, you know no matter what no matter what had happened to your body.
1: Yes. But anyway, as with Lisbon, Paris quickly became overrun by their dead, so to speak, and they had to find a way to store what was thought to be sacred remains, even after they were disinterred to make room for new bodies. And this is centuries back in time. So just imagine what it must be like in Paris now, like a burial plot in Paris might be as hard as to secure as like, I don't know, like Eras tour tickets or something. Yeah. <laughs> But remains started to be exhumed, and by the end of the 18th century, even the ossuary of the central burial ground in Paris was full to bursting with centuries of the dead. Things got worse, as after about 10 centuries of remains being deposited at the site, the soil had simply worn out, is what I read.
0: What does that even mean?
1: I th- Well... Instead of naturally decaying, bodies would just rot in open pits. So I feel like there was just simply no more nutrients or like whatever in soil kind of makes bodies naturally decay as they do. Yeah,
0: microbes and things. It was
1: just so full of death anyway that that things were, well, festering. Um, Fetid. Yes. And so there was just a horrific smell. And of course, this led to the risk of epidemic because if you have diseased uh, bodies, you know, people who died of disease, just out, out in a pit, out and, out and about, mm-hmm, um, people might get sick. Sons out, mums out. Some of these, mum died last week. <laughs> some of <laughs> oh, these plague. Well, some of these bodies were plague victims. You know, just naturally over the years, um, some of the bones as well. Some of those in the catacombs died of plague, but they're not currently (laughs) contagious. They're not festering, so we're good. But Parisians also took to depositing their garbage, including feces and urine, at this site, which made things so much better. Um aren't there
0: like isn't Paris on like several rivers? Like do you have to pee on the bodies?
1: Yeah. I mean plus there this is like there's marshland around like things I can't even imagine what it smelled like. I I don't want to. I never want to.
0: This is also still at the time when it smells awful everywhere, right? There's just open buckets of urine. This
1: this was like so extra awful that it was decided that something had to be done. It was just too bad. And so they they finally kind of narrowed it down. Um, They decided that three large scale suburban burial grounds would be constructed on the outskirts of the city. And interestingly, existing parish cemeteries within Paris city limits were condemned and burial grounds were closed. You could not be buried there anymore.
0: Hell closed its <laughs> gates. And so then zombies started to rise, right?
1: Um, well, You would think so, yeah, if they're not rotting, you know. But much of the old left bank of Paris, which had been kind of abandoned by you know, in favor of the right bank, rested upon rich limestone deposits, which was mined initially to help build the city, but proved prohibitive for long-term use. You would just um, sort of deplete the limestone and move on. And these mines were built mostly between the 12th and 18th centuries when, you know, a lot of the main architecture was done in like the establishing of Paris and then just abandoned. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So they're, they're like partially partially mined mines just yes. sitting
1: there. many of these mines which a good number of which had been illegally created just by people trying to mine limestone and find wealth, they stood empty and uncharted where they had been left
0: that's, that's so that's not a mine that's more of a, a criminal pit
1: <laughs> just a so cr- yeah some some were mines and some were criminal pits <laughs> and it was here that the future Paris catacombs would be created. Because how convenient. There's already so many turtles.
0: Sure, yeah. Let's, let, we, we've got to put, put uh, all these skeletons somewhere. Let's put them in the criminal pit.
1: Mm-hmm. The need for a new underground storage space for long dead remains emerged with an event that sounds like a horror movie. On May 31st, 1780, a basement wall in a property, so it seems like a, a home, adjoining the Saint's Innocence Cemetery collapsed under the weight of the mass grave behind it, which was full of remains that had been removed from burial plots for space reasons. So this was just a bone pit, pretty much.
0: Oh, they, they, but so these are all, they're they're all done?
1: You'd hope, but again, as things are looking, probably not all done. These are probably festering.
0: Right. But he is in medieval Paris, so it probably didn't change the smell of his basement at all when it poured in.
1: No, but it probably wasn't great. Um, There was also the additional concern, as we said, of the spread of disease from these newly revealed remains. So now there were millions of bones and no place to go. Or was there? Now, it was at this time, it was suggested that the abandoned limestone mines become the site of the new Paris catacombs, kind of stuff all those bones underground. And the idea became law in 1785. The next year, after an opening ceremony on April 7th, which I hope included, like, I don't know, the equivalent of Elton John singing there or something, uh, the route between Saints Innocence Cemetery and the new catacombs would become a ghoulish procession every night (laughs) Black cloth covered wagons covered the path carrying the remains of millions of dead Parisians from their first resting place to their final one. So just carts of bones would trek this path every night between the old cemetery and the new catacombs for two years.
0: Millions of them.
1: Every night.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: It took two years to empty the majority of not only Saints' Innocents, but of all the overcrowded Paris cemeteries and bring them to the catacombs. Along with Saints' Innocents, which was by far the largest undertaking with over 2 million buried during 600 years of operations, other burial sites like Saint-Étienne de Grèce, which is one of the oldest, Madeleine Cemetery, Aransas Cemetery, which was used for the victims of the French Revolution, and Notre Dame des Blancs-Manteaux were brought to the catacombs.
0: So are they um, just emptying out their overflowing ossuaries, or are they at the same time like, hey, let's create some more space in the graveyards too, open up the the graves?
1: I think a a little column A, a little column B, and both columns are made of bones. (laughs) Uh, it doesn't sound like a sturdy column. I have to
0: have to be honest.
1: Some people that likely are resting now in the Paris catacombs include uh, leaders of the French Revolution, like Maximilian Robespierre and Georges Danton.
0: Mm, one of those guys is missing half a jaw. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll refer it's... you to our uh, guillotine <laughs> episode for which one it is.
1: Yes, yes. In the first couple of years, the catacombs were disorganized. They were just a repository to solve a space problem. They were throwing bones into pits. However, in, eight, however, in 1810, Louis Etienne Henri Carte de Turry... I think that was. That was, the right.
0: it was probably pretty close.
1: At the time, he was the new director of the Paris Mine Inspection Service, was tasked by none other than Napoleon to undertake serious renovations to transform the ossuaries into an actual visitable mausoleum. Because Napoleon was like, these piles of bones um, are kind of lame when you compare them to some of the catacombs that like the Romans were capable of making. I
0: mean, he's been to Egypt, so he
1: knows burial sites.
0: He's seen pretty much the most impressive burial sites there are.
1: Yes. Now, this sort of redesign included stacking skulls and femurs into patterns that can still be seen in the catacombs today. There's famous skeletal artwork featuring stripes of skulls and bones covering the walls and columns comprising the area. The most famous installation of these is the Rotonda de Tibias, uh tibias, uh, a thick cylinder comprised of thousands of tibias, which rounds out what is now the end of the modern catacomb walking tour. Yeah, but that's all right.
0: It doesn't feel particularly like I guess impress. I'm sure it's impressive when you see it, but it doesn't feel particularly respectful of the people whose tibias they
1: are. It's not. Well, like- what would you rather do? If you were Bones, would you rather be in a festering pit or would you rather be beautiful artwork that is appreciated centuries after your death?
0: To be honest, Carrie, I'm Bones. I don't care.
1: Okay. Well, I would like to be artwork. So, and this might appeal to you, Sean. This area of the Rotunda distibius Tibias um, is actually supposed to create a beautiful resident musical tone. And a concert was actually performed at the spot in 1897 by a 45-member orchestra who played Chopin's Funeral March, Sans saints Dance of Death, and Beethoven's Funeral March from Eroica. So that must have been
0: fucking cool, that concert. The most metal, non-metal concert ever held. Absolutely,
1: Yes. The walls of the reorganized catacombs were complemented by any preserved cemetery artwork recovered from the closed cemeteries the bones had come from, which also included any tombstones and monuments. So those things, uh, as much as they could, they tried to preserve them. A room was created to display the various minerals that could be found under Paris, and another showed various skeletal deformities that had been discovered in remains brought to the catacombs. Yeah, this feels especially disrespectful. Well, this is the early 1800s, a cabinet of curiosities is is a thing, and they were trying to make this a destination, it's, you know, like a museum that people would visit.
0: Well, yeah, and again, Napoleon had just done that thing of going to Egypt and taking all of their bones and mummies. Yeah,
1: so at least this is like Parisian bones, you know, they, these are homegrown, so to speak. Stone tablets and signage were also added to not only describe the displays in the catacombs, but warn those about trying to wander off in them, an issue that was attempted to be solved by the walling off of the catacombs from the rest of the left bank's extensive tunnel network. The rearrangement took until 1814, and between then and 1816, here and there some more remains would sometimes be deposited in the catacombs.
0: And still, just from churches clearing out those buildings, bone boxes pretty
1: much yeah then and today the municipal ossuary in the paris catacombs is one of the world's largest and one of only a handful of subterranean examples now as you asked sean you can go beneath the streets of paris and visit the catacombs yourself um super high bucket list item for me oh yeah uh, to the point where a friend of mine went to Paris and then did the tour and brought me back a Paris ossuary magnet because she knew I would love it. And I, I do. I love it very much. It's on our fridge. I, I guess. <laughs> I, are, are you thankful
0: uh, or or a little bit uh, p- peeved that she didn't try to uh,
1: pry a bone off that oh, uh, tibia no. wall? I no. Would, I wouldn't have been up. Up for that? I I think that would have probably been disrespect. I mean, would have certainly been disrespectful. And uh, that's a that's a clear way to get haunted. As a hundred percent to haunting.
0: Uh, again, if I'm the bejeweled tibia guy and I'm haunting anyone, it's Napoleon.
1: For sure, for sure. To visit the catacombs, you descend 131 steps into the earth at One Avenue du, Col- du Colonel Henri Roll Great job. And take a tour offered by the city after first passing under a sign above, reading, Erete, se le Emperor de mort.
0: Oh, uh, attention. Entering here is the empire of death.
1: Stop. This is the empire of death, which is a quote from the Anid and so metal. It, this is all so metal.
0: Yeah, and it is the end, so that's where the title of that uh, that beautiful coffee table book comes from.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Torah is meant to not only guide visitors safely through the catacombs, but offer both an interesting perspective on the history of Paris, and to encourage reflection on one's own perspective on death and mortality. I imagine it's a haunting, beautiful experience. However, some decide to make the journey into the catacombs by themselves with no help or guidance, and sometimes those unlucky souls are lost forever to the subterranean maze beneath Paris, France. We'll be talking about the strange second world that exists in the Paris catacombs and the tragedies that have befallen those who haven't respected it after the break.
0: Very eerie, Carrie. And uh, possibly a predictive triptych of our next trip to Paris.
1: Absolutely. Oh,
3: Do
0: not go any further turn around, go home Welcome back. In our first segment, Carrie you gave us a deep dive into the history of the haunting and beautiful Paris catacombs. Wee-wee oui, Wee-wee. Oui. <laughs> oui, oui. Uh, and now that we've had a chance to take a wee-wee, oui, oui, um, oh boy!
1: <laughs> Come on. <laughs> sorry to our French listeners for that and my French pronunciation this up. week.
0: Yeah, don't apologize for me, you little lady. Oh. Um. <laughs> um now, Caroline, you promised just before the break.
1: Petite. Mm.
0: Sorry. Fille, la jeune
1: fille. Je suis la jeune fille. Yeah, Muzi. Oh
0: boy. Listeners who don't get that <laughs> reference, I don't know how to help you. <laughs> yeah. Nothing I can do. Uh, Carrie, before the break, you promised a uh, glimpse into some both the modern world underneath those catacombs and in those tunnels under Paris mm-hmm. and some tragedies that have befallen those foolhardy enough to wander in. Yeah. Um, so, So tell me about it, Carrie. Why shouldn't I go take a little jaunt into the Paris catacombs?
1: Well, as I mentioned before, I decided to cover the Paris catacombs this week because multiple videos had come up on my TikTok for you page about the catacombs and people's interest in either visiting or very much avoiding them. So yes, I do have a weird FYP, but I'm weird too, so I guess it makes sense. But of course, I descended into the rabbit hole, and what I came up with was Really fascinating and often kind of terrifying. So, now we've discussed the history of the Paris catacombs, let's discuss the legacy of the catacombs in regards to its continuing captivation of the living and the eerie warning embodied by its millions of dead. So, even from its early days, people have gone into the catacombs and simply never come out. This is the case for both the catacombs proper, by me, which I mean strictly the ossuary of human remains, and the catacombs informally, which is often used to refer to the entire tunnel network under Paris, not just the locations holding remains.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, there were probably people dying and disappearing down there when there were just mines
1: down there. Well, <laughs> funny you say that, Sean. Philibert Asper, doorkeeper of the Val de Grasse hospital during the French Revolution, entered what is now the Paris Catacombs, then just tunnels, in November 1793 via a staircase located in the hospital courtyard and disappeared. His reasons for doing so, uh, going into the tunnels, was unknown, perhaps simple curiosity. I also saw whispers that someone had like a whole cache of... Um, liquor down there. Maybe he was looking for that. Okay, but
0: do do we know, I mean, do we even know how this story comes down to us? Like, did someone see him go in?
1: His body was discovered. Oh. 11 years later in 1804, long dead and laying in one of the quarry galleries with no cause of death obvious because he had decayed uh, much longer before.
0: One of the quarry galleries, but obviously a place that Nobody had visited in 11 years because he was just laying out.
1: And I'm sure that people didn't know where he'd gone. Maybe they didn't even know he had gone into that area. He had just disappeared one day. Well, sure. He doesn't
0: want to share the liquor cash with (laughs) anybody else.
1: Asper was buried where he was found, which was a restricted part of the catacombs under Rue Henri Barbusse, And ironically, mere feet from an exit. Huh. He just didn't find it in time.
0: In time for what? We don't even know what killed him.
1: Well, maybe he starved, like, presumably he probably starved to death or, you know, thirsted to death.
0: Well, that's a real, a real tragedy to, to collapse. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right next to, right next to an exit. And it was just, what, it was dark?
1: Yeah. Pitch black. According to some, Philibert's spirit wanders through the tunnels even to this day, still lost and surrounded by death. Now, interestingly, though not as horrifically, Parisian members of the French resistance during World War II used the tunnel system to more success than Asper was able to <laughs> attain. Yeah, I
0: would hope, yeah.
1: They established the headquarters there from which Colonel Roul led the insurrection for the liberation of Paris in June 1944. Uh, and then in 1955, entering the non public galleries of the tum- tunnel system was made illegal for safety reasons.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, sure, because people just walk, wander in and starve to death. Yeah.
1: In 2004, Parisian police officers were assigned to a training exercise in a previously uncharted part of the catacombs beneath the Palais des Chalots when they discovered something utterly unexpected. What do you think it was, Sean?
0: I don't know, I'm just still lost on the guy who died next to the exit.
1: Well, it wasn't like a door. No, I, yeah, well... It might have been like a manhole kind of thing. Those are a lot of the entrances and exits, and you just didn't see this, like, the ladder or whatever. Gotcha. But still, though, I mean, it's it's just... If you're lost in there, there's no light anywhere. There's no way to see. How do you get out? It's yeah. like being lost in a cave. I know it
0: just it's like you're talking about a magical dungeon or something. I I can't imagine the idea of a grown man.
1: It's a dungeon. Yeah. I mean What do you mean? I, mean? I mean how yeah just I don't know. Sean they're estimated those tunnels are estimated to be between 200 and 400 miles of tunnels.
0: Just always take right turns or always take left turns. That doesn't work
1: there. These were haphazard tunnels half the time carved by people trying to steal limestone. (laughs) They weren't thinking of like maps. No, I,
0: I know. So (laughs) so you're saying it's not a grid system
1: down there. Motherfucker. No, it's not. It's not a grid system. Okay. It's a gross system. I don't know. Anyway. Um, it was a movie theater, Sean. They found a movie theater down there. What? Yes. According to Atlas Obscura, quote, quote, Entering the catacombs through a drain, officers first came across a sign that read Building Site No Access, and then a bit further in, a camera that actively recorded images of those who passed. As the officers approached the camera, a recording of dogs barking was triggered. Now, keep in mind, there's no... uh, Unless you're at the, the public part with the ossuary, there's no electricity down there. There's no phone service down there. No water is connected down there. So someone had run electricity. I was going to say,
0: yeah, not connected by the city. Obviously it's connected here.
1: The police descended deeper into the tunnels and discovered a 500 square meter cavern with a fully equipped cinema. It included a giant cinema screen, projection equipment, chairs, and a handful of films from film noir classics to recent thrillers. Someone had turned this abandoned underground cavern into a secret amphitheater. And, um, you could see pictures this is real this is not a legend this is real they carved seats into the stone wow yeah
0: i mean that's ambition Mm -hmm. i thought uh you know i think it was
1: like at least a 30 person cinema wow so 30 people might have known about this thing
0: well sure Uh, hell
1: of a secret to keep
0: but what was the the camera and the dog bark was just like a security system a deterrent
1: yeah Aside from this, in the next room, police discovered a fully stocked bar and restaurant complete with tables and chairs. The discovery left police befuddled, not to mention the professional installation of electricity and three phone lines.
0: The restaurant is wild. So do you think this is a business?
1: I I think they also found a way to get running water down there via like... Some building, uh, like, directly above that they ran water down from.
0: I mean, it's either, like, a business for a very exclusive weird clientele, or it's somebody's, like, awesome clubhouse.
1: Yeah, little column A, little column B, both columns are bones. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, three days later, police returned with experts from the French Board of Electricity to try and figure out where the power was coming from.
0: And the movie theater was
1: gone? The cables had been cut, and a note was lying on the floor that said, in French, do not search. And yeah, everything had been removed. Mr. Police, I gave you all the clues. Yes, it's so spooky. Now, here's the thing, and one of the things that uh, really made me want to cover this location on this week's episode:
0: Cherchez non.
1: Legend has it that there is some kind of underground collective that actually lives down in the extended area of the catacombs. Oh, this
0: is like how, you know, people talk about the, you know, like mole people living under New York.
1: Yep, the abandoned subway tunnels of New York. You, you got there before me, Sean, good for you.
0: <laughs> I read your notes. <laughs> I didn't read your notes.
1: The TikToker that first went viral discussing her knowledge of the catacombs, Amanda Rollins, who you can find at American File. Uh, shared what she was told about the rumored residence of the Paris catacombs by a Parisian ex-boyfriend who had long explored the area.
3: Here's what he explained to me. So please, for the love of God, listen to this and don't ever try going in there. There's people that live in there full time. There is a community of people that live in the catacombs, okay? And they don't want tourists going in there, whether it's tourists like Americans, tourists like French people. They don't want people going in there, period. What he told me was... There are people down there when you go in with your map, because obviously you need your map to figure out where you're going because it's winding little corridors. You're gonna climb through water. You're gonna get disgusting by the way. There's parts where you have to crawl. It's very confusing down there, right? And there's no cell service and it's just, it's a risky situation. You need your map with you to know where the hell you're going. He said to me that there's people that live down there and what they will do is when they see you coming in with your map, with your flashlights, here's what they'll do. They'll run up to you, grab your flashlight and grab your map and then run away. do you you understand what i'm saying to you you go down with your little me with my little headlamp and my little map and i'm like "Ooh, we're going on an adventure which is illegal by the way and then someone runs up to me imagine grabs my map out of my hand and my headlamp and i'm just sat there like oh my god where do i go it's horrible but like that happens and that is horrifying
0: that sounds like you Ooh, we're going on an adventure it's illegal by the way
1: (laughs) yeah and so it is terrifying Now, are there any other tangible facts to support these rumors? This is just a woman on TikTok's ex-boyfriend? He's Parisian, though, Sean. Says? The Mexican Consolidated Drilling Authority, which is a subdivision of the organization UX, short for Urban Experiment, took credit for the catacombs' cinema discovery after having stolen the plans for many Parisian underground passageways and tunnels way back in the 80s. So this seems to indicate that that at least um wasn't the you know result of some subterranean society of mole people you know wanting to make a movie theater. Well it doesn't seem like it.
0: it. Right. It it that's felt that feels like surface surface dwellers you know having a cool place to get away from it all.
1: But that's some of the only proof we have of people spending a large amount of time down there. Um. there's plenty of graffiti. There's plenty of people who have clandestine parties and things like that down there. Uh, but sure- this is like, that was like a very permanent, you know, installation.
0: I'm sure there are like... Homeless people who oh, yeah. squat I w- down there.
1: I wouldn't be surprised if at least a few people lived in, you know, the extended catacombs full time to like stay off the grid or, you know, have a place to stay. But
0: that's different from like a society of mole people who steal your uh, cameras. Well, I
1: mean, maybe they don't want people down there. I don't know. It seems interesting that there's no tangible evidence here. There's no public accounts of explorers running into them specifically. Um, Sometimes people will talk about, you know, having things stolen or grabbed from like other people, but that could just be other people exploring as well. Sort of a lot of friend of a friend sorts of stories. Uh
0: Ex-boyfriend of a TikTok follow.
1: (laughs) Yes. However, people have gone missing in the catacombs, likely more often than is reported in the news. Two teenagers aged 16 and 17 were rescued from the catacombs in June of 2017 after being lost in the dark tunnels for three days. Wow. They were located only with the assistance of search teams and rescue dogs and transported to the hospital for hypothermia treatment soon after because it can get pretty cold and humid down there. few details were released after their recovery, um, including why they snuck into the catacombs. I'm sure it was just, you know, shitty teenage, teenage stuff.
0: Teenage stuff,
1: yeah. How they got lost. um, Teenage stuff.
0: (laughs) They're dumb. We established that a grown man who just wanted his box of liquor starved to death down (laughs) there. Well, might
1: have. Might have. Uh, The operator of the Paris catacombs at the time stressed to the Guardian that no one had ever gotten lost in the area of the ossuary that was at least open to the public. Uh, But that, of course, leaves out the rest of the many miles of subterranean tunnels, which we said before is somewhere between, like, 200 and 400 miles according to estimates and that's uh, i mean that's like new york to boston (laughs) that's a that's a lot of space yeah there are clandestine entrances and exits to the tunnels in various areas of the city which people utilize to illegally go underground but it's worth noting that these areas are very much not stable, especially considering they're often mining tunnels that have been abandoned for hundreds of years and were certainly not built to code. Uh, Cavins can and do happen. There is a very intriguing unsolved mystery that also surrounds the Paris catacombs. Mm. One of my old favorite shows back when I was a kid, Scariest Places on Earth, thank you again, Dad, (laughs) premiered footage back in 2000 in which they claimed that a video camera containing mysterious footage was discovered within the catacombs. Their interviewee, filmmaker Francis Friedland, elaborated that the video camera was found deep in the catacombs by an explorer who gave it to Friedland. An explorer? A catacomb explorer. They're also called cataphiles.
0: Oh, okay. So uh,
1: it's it's like an urban explorer but they concentrate on the catacombs.
0: But a conveniently anonymous urban explorer. Yes.
1: And as as you're already starting to itch about, Sean, this does raise questions immediately. Um, this was the height of Blair Witch vibes. And with Friedland being a filmmaker himself, you have to wonder whether this was sort of an early example of guerrilla marketing for his own work.
0: Is he a horror
1: filmmaker? No, I think he does mostly documentary stuff that was found on him online, at least. There's also the fact that Scariest Places on Earth itself was accused of fabricating or sensationalizing some of the events aired on the show, which often included people sort of locked down in super haunted locations, famous haunted locations overnight. Is this a Discovery Channel show? It was actually, I think at the time it was Fox Family, and then it was ABC Family. So, and then it was Freeform, which I think it is now. Um, So it was like, it is really spooky for a family show, but I really enjoyed it. It was hosted by Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Classy situation. So the footage shows the POV of someone walking through the tunnels. Um, looks like they're using the light on the camera to light their way. And there's clips of human bones, skulls, and winding pitch black passageways. After about 20 minutes of these kinds of shots, the cinematographer begins to quicken their pace, eventually running, with only occasional stops to try and decide which path to take. And the only sound you're hearing here is, like, really labored breathing.
0: Are they just, dis- like, are they, I gotta pick which paths to take, like, the camera looks left, looks right, and then looks left again and goes?
1: There is some of that, but again, I don't think this person even had a flashlight. I think they were using the light on the camera. So I'm not going to hold that against it, at least.
0: Sure. Uh, Yeah, okay. I haven't even uh, seen the clip, but, you know.
1: We'll have you watch it. All right. Now, suddenly the person drops the camera, and this person, I don't think they're ever shown, like, facially, but they're always referred to as a man. Might just be the sound of the breathing and... You see their feet, but the person drops the camera, splashes into a puddle, and we see and hear their feet running away. And this is strange because the camera seemed to be their only source of light up to this point. I don't know if they had a flashlight with them, but they just left it there. And then after this, the camera kept rolling until it ran out of tape. No other sounds or images to be seen. Just, like filming the floor.
0: Yeah, so the two things that don't make sense to me are if you're running full bore, I I don't think you're looking down the barrel of a camera. Like a camcorder, I don't, I don't care if you are using it for light. I think you know, you you're, you then you might be just waving it ahead of you as a flashlight but you're Well, not I mean maintaining a shot. Listen, up. this
1: is these aren't steady cam shots and you'll see like they're they're fairly erratic once the person starts running. Um according to most accounts, the footage apparently comes from sometime in the 90s. There's no evidence as to why this is believed. I don't think Friedland said a date of any kind.
0: That might be based on the kind of the camcorder that was yeah. found, because the the camera was found, right?
1: Yeah, I think it was like a VHS camera. So, Friedland stated he brought the footage to a cataphile. Uh, again, another word for these kinds of urban explorers and some other experts to try and discern who the man seen uh, filming the video could be. Eventually, he... Uh, one of the foremost experts on catacomb diving, who um, might've been one of the people involved with that underground cinema situation. Oh! Uh, And a small crew traveled into the catacombs to try and find anything they could about what happened to this mystery man. They made it over six miles deep into the tunnels with no sign of any answers. Um, They did spot a figure chalked onto one of the walls that matched one scene on the tape. Again, there's a lot of graffiti down there. So they might have found the same area this person was in. But after many hours, the group was forced to turn back. I think it was something like half a day they were down there. And they were miles underground. They had to turn back at one point because their exit was blocked. So they had to go back like five miles. Um, Their batteries were low. So they just couldn't keep going. You can see the entire clip, including their own exploration, Um, at YouTube under the title Mystery Footage Found in Paris Catacomb. Mm -hmm. But if you just want the found footage, you can check out the video Paris Catacombs Lost Man footage also on YouTube. But interestingly, the only digital version of this footage available online seems to be clips from the Scariest Places on Earth segment. Um, You'll always see like ABC Family or sci-fi logos in the corner of the footage. No full copy of the tape at least to my knowledge, maybe on like the dark web, uh, but no full copy of the tape is anywhere to be seen. Wow! Just the clips that were shown on this TV show.
0: Even uh, I don't want to tip our hand on what's coming next, but but even when this clip has no, been discussed on other shows, no,
1: same clips, N- nothing new, at least.
0: Right, I know, but like on um, when we when we get to what yes, when the Ghost Boys <laughs> use this video,
1: it's it's only sa- the same clips. That were shown. Gotcha. So nothing additional. Might not have the Chiron at the bottom, but same clips. Also interesting to note, in the nearly 25 years since this footage first aired, and I hate knowing that because I probably saw it live, (laughs) um, but no one has ever actually come forward to report that they were the ones responsible for creating the footage or dropping it, or even to confess to a hoax. And it's been a quarter of a century, which, again, I hate that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but what's the point of a hoax if you confess it? Although, I guess, what's the point of a hoax if you don't confess it?
1: Mm -hmm. As for Friedland, our boy Zach Bagans interviewed him for a TV special over a decade later in 2014 about the famous footage, which had found a new life on the internet as a viral horror story. Here's the audio from that interview.
0: Yeah, and he's just the uh, Frenchest man smoking the Frenchest <laughs> cigarette and wearing the Frenchest windbreaker at the Frenchest cafe you ever did see.
4: Were you ever able to find out who this person yeah. was? What drew you to this footage?
2: The take was, was quite amazing. It was very scary. I mean, why would somebody alone go into this nightmare of a maze? Right. The catacombs, which is deadly. Right. I mean, you can get lost. You can run out of batteries. You can trip, you can sprain your ankle, and you, no one can, can find you, no one can reach
4: you. I have the footage here. Uh-huh. Was that you there? Uh-huh. Uh, that's me walking, yes. Did you go to the exact area where his camera was dropped? No. You didn't, no. you couldn't find that spot? Why do you think this man that was filming this began running? What was he, what do you think he was running from? And were you ever able to enhance the audio to see if you can hear something chasing him? The
2: audio is just, his breathing Uh
4: and his footsteps. We hear his breathing
2: get louder and louder. Uh, as though something was scaring him, he was, he's, he's frightened, he's frightened. Occasionally he stops, perhaps, to try to decide... Again, this to is a clip from scariest the scariest places under
1: this audio that they're playing.
2: Oh. He's running faster and faster and faster, deeper and deeper into the catacombs. And all of a sudden... And
4: keeps rolling until it runs out of tape. What do you think happened to this guy? I have no idea.
2: I mean, he could be dead. Can can you take me to that spot? I cannot take you to that spot. I will absolutely never, 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 never go back in the catacombs. I refuse to go back down there.
4: Francis has left me with more questions than answers when it comes to the fate of this mysterious cameraman. Why did he run? What did he see?
0: I refuse to go back there. You, you said this wasn't a paying gig, right? I refuse to go back
1: there. <laughs> there are also some other interesting accounts shared with Zach by those who had personal experiences in the catacombs.
4: Thomas Benini is an IT consultant living in Paris. Oh, very We were spooky. exploring the catacombs
0: with uh, two very good friends of mine. And one of my friend got lost. I was running, rushed back to where we came from to uh, find him and uh, I stumbled and fell. And when I looked up, I saw, I, I saw someone. He was pointing at something on the wall. There was a, a date on the, on the stone engraved, and uh, the letter G.
4: G was the mark of Charles Axel Guillemot. The architect responsible for converting these former mines into crypts filled with the remains of six million Parisians. Yep, it's During ghosts. the construction, his workers often reported seeing mysterious trails of footprints and a shadowy form that moved through these dark tunnels. And you do believe that this was Charles Axel Guillemot? I do believe it.
0: Nope, oh, well there you have
4: it.
1: He was actually just pointing to the G because he is the realest G. <laughs>
0: Dude be the real G. <laughs> I am the OG.
1: Next stop. Went down with the cataphile. We were just hanging out. We... You gotta be real careful about how you say that.
4: I went down with the cataphile. We were just hanging out. We oh. were raving. Somebody.
0: <laughs> we don't know who it was. Drop a smoke bomb. Oh my God! You done with the cataphile?
1: Nothing like raving with cataphiles. I was
4: talking to my friends, and I wandering off, watching my step, walking slowly, and all of a sudden, I couldn't hear anything. I felt dead silent. <laughs> I didn't know what to do, because I don't know the catacombs well enough to navigate my way around.
0: But I, that night, I saw a hand come and reach out towards me
4: Think? in the smoke <laughs> where I was. It, it wasn't, uh... How do you know it wasn't a person? It wasn't a person. How do you know that? Because I reached hand. out to try to grab it. And it just, dis- it just disappeared. And your hand went through it. Exactly. This could be the disembodied hand of a residual spirit reaching out from the past. But then the question remains. Just how far back in history could this spirit be reaching out from? <gasps> There's a lot of history down there. Yeah. And it's uh, a lot of graveyards, a lot of dead bodies. Uh-huh. in parts that probably people haven't even explored yet.
0: Parts that people probably haven't explored yet? I mean, people built all of it.
1: Yeah, I think he means modern day <laughs> people. Now, finally, we have Zack's own descent into the tunnels and possibly into madness.
0: Oh, the best. I hope some of his equipment fails.
1: Well.
3: You, you, you leave a camera here. Huh? Damn. Look. It's a power.
4: Oh, <gasps> no
1: They stole our camera. Nope. And to, and to, um, the ghost stole the camera.
4: And our digital recorder.
1: Yeah, in. the insult to injury. That. You're, you're in a cool place yeah. and you yeah. hung it all yeah. Here's
4: no the, the rest either. of our camera that we had rigged up there. And the digital recorder. The only other people we saw down here were partygoers near Philibert's tomb. But that was hours ago and nearly two miles from here. It's unlikely that any of them would have followed us here and taken the camera, especially since I rigged it so high off the ground.
0: <laughs> especially since I'm so strong and tall. <laughs> so
4: the second camera was stolen too,
3: right? Yeah.
4: So to both of them we're gone, right? Yeah. Right? We still got this one. Thankfully we got
0: one. Yeah. He's so pouty. <laughs> Thankfully we... We
1: got one. <laughs> so it seems someone or something someone. made off with some of Travel Channel's equipment. And speaking of film equipment, even on TikTok, there's no mentioning the Paris catacombs without bringing up the film as above, so below. A 2014 horror flick, flam- hmm. a 2014 horror flick framed as found footage of a documentary crew's experience exploring the catacombs
0: Well, this sounds directly based on that other thing.
1: (laughs) Well, it's also apparently loosely based on the story of the nine circles of hell. Okay. (laughs) So you can kind of figure out where the plot goes by that. I mean, not fully. Apparently it goes real crazy, but you know. I can guess how many levels they descend (laughs) into the catacombs. I haven't seen it yet, but I have to admit I'm curious after all this research. The ending was called, quote, unspeakably corny by Variety. So it sounds like I'll really enjoy the journey. All
0: right, excellent. I'm looking forward to taking it with you.
1: There's also legends about, you know, a cryptid or cryptids that might be under the catacomb or in the catacombs under the city, um, you know, with glowing white eyes or, or blind kind of mole people cryptids. Uh, shadow creatures and things like that, but nothing really tangible that I was able to find.
0: That, again, feels like uh, the stories of teenagers who have accidentally stepped on unhoused people while Mm. they were trying to find a place to make out down there.
1: Yeah, maybe. As we end our discussion of the history and mysteries of the Paris Catacombs, I do urge anyone listening who might have an itch to explore on their own to not Uh, I can't in good conscience recommend doing so, not only because it's illegal, but because it's insanely dangerous, even if you think you know what you're doing. By all means, go on the public tour, which will be number one on my list of Paris to do's if we ever visit. But as for the hundreds of miles of dark and winding tunnels closed off to the public, that's a no from me, dog.
0: There would, um, you know how Camus said the stupidest way to die is to die in a car crash and then he died in a car crash? Um, the stupidest way to die truly is of starvation within 200 feet of some of the best restaurants in the world.
1: You know, you keep on dunking on Philly Bear and he's going to haunt you. Bring it on, Hungry. Wow. This week, we're sharing an additional voicemail left by one of our listeners about their favorite bit from the last 50 episodes of Ain't It Scary, and we will play a clip for you here afterward. Thank you so much for calling in, Sue. Yeah, thank you, Sue, and thank you, Henry Kissinger, I guess?
2: Hi, Sean and Carrie. This is Sue. Um, I saw your thing on Patreon, and I wanted to say, I think my favorite one, oh, that's really hard to choose was Bohemian Grove because you hit the perfect balance of whimsical and teasing and some pretty good digging, and and that one was juicy. So I enjoyed that. Um, I also wanted to say I really love the way you guys balance being respectful of, you know, crime victims and all of that um, as opposed to just, uh, focusing on like the nefarious mental states of, of the Mansons of the world, you went really into, um, the, the backgrounds of the people that, that, that gang killed. So, uh, you know, I really like the intelligence and the compassion and the humor with which you treat all of your subjects. So, you know, I love you guys. And again, thanks for your sympathies on the kitty. Take care. Thanks. Bye.
1: There's the museum stage, which is a semi-outdoor venue with a covered stage for lectures and small ensemble performances. The dining circle seats approximately 1,500 diners simultaneously and is presumably where everyone has their meals. Then we get into the big productions, starting with the field circle. The Field Circle is a bowl-shaped amphitheater used for what is known as the low jinx musical comedy, which is performed about midway through encampment.
0: God, I mean, with all of these elderly Republican uh, congressmen and, and uh, you know members of government there, how funny do you think this show is? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, there's that. There's the spring jinx performance in early June, also performed at the Field Circle, as well as other performances. But okay. w- yeah, what the hell is a low jinx or a spring jinx?
0: Low jinx is a pun on high jinx. I assume. Well, but
1: no, there is a high jinx, too, though.
0: Yeah, but high jinx is an actual term. So I'm sure that one came first. And then they were like, this is the low jinx because it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, ruder, or or just less fancy and formal, and then you get a spring jinx, which is admittedly a weaker pun.
1: A jinx at spring. So, according to a quite detailed document titled The Bohemian Grove and Other Retreats by G. William Domhoff, which I found on CIA.gov, interesting in and of itself, any planned entertainment of a larger magnitude at Bohemian Grove is referred to as a jinx, Uh, J-I-N-K-S, which is nomenclature extending from the earliest days of the club where members were trying to establish traditions and precedents from the club and adopted many ideas from literature and entertainment. The Low Jinx in question is a specially written musical comedy themed with more slapstick fun.
0: Wait, so it's a rusical?
1: Yeah, but you know, it's... An actual production, you know, it's not just kind of slapped together in a day,
0: so it's not a rusical. <laughs> no,
1: estimated personnel hired for low jinx is around 200 to 250 people paid and uh, a total budget of five thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars per year. I could make a feature film with that money, say, you can make a, a decent indie film for a low jinx. The title of the first formal low jinx performed in 1924 was The Lady of Monte Rio, which was apparently an allusion to the sex workers known to be available at certain inns and motels near the Grove's location, and obviously were engaged by visitors at the Grove.
0: It re- I keep bringing up bruisicles, but it really, it's full of in-jokes, and yeah. I mean, it really is the level of entertainment of... RuPaul's Drag Race, but I'm sure the
1: dresses aren't as good. <laughs> but there is probably a similar amount of drag. 1968's Slow Jinx was titled The Sin of Ophelia Grab, a story about Ophelia and her beau, Lechwell Lear, living in unwedded bliss together despite Ophelia beating, being the daughter of the mayor of Shady Corners. So yeah, it is like a rusical. <laughs> Ophelia Grab? Come on. If you're thinking these sound kind of bad or even dorky, uh, I would offer my services to the club as a writer, but I think my female status precludes me from ever really being considered.
0: Well, again, they've obviously hired the staff of RuPaul's Drag Race, so <laughs> they don't they don't need you, unfortunately.
1: A notable low Jinx participant is known to have been Henry Kissinger, who remarked of the performance, quote, I am here because I have always been convinced that the low Jinx is the ultimate aphrodisiac. He's surrounded by men, very telling. Hey, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. We'd also like to thank our listener, Theo and her lovely mother for taking us on a tour of the fascinating First Church in Salem, Massachusetts this past weekend. So cool. So cool. We loved hearing all of the incredible history connected to the church, including links to the witch trials, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and the Revolutionary War.
0: Yep, uh, we I, I sat my little butt right on the same <laughs> uh, uh, same old horsehair that uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne <laughs> used to put his butt on.
1: Mhm. And of course, we loved getting to meet you both and learning more about one of our favorite cities through the eyes of longtime residents. So thanks again for inviting us.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we look forward to the next time we're back in your neck of the woods.
1: Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google voice number, 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be forever grateful.
0: Uh, We certainly will. And special thanks to those of you already joining us on Patreon. Uh, If you are just a casual listener, um, great Rewards await you uh, at just a few dollars a month, uh, ad-free listening, uh, access to uh, a very cozy little chat community on Patreon, and um, some some additional content and uh, the occasional sticker in the mail, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, we love our patrons, and the uh, spookiest and scariest are Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Compy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Ryan, Enrique, Ira, Pete, Anna, and Delaney. Thank you all so much. See you next Thursday. Show by Sean and Carrie McCabe, music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb.
1: Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. Hit it, Poe!
0: 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly
3: competing for first place. We're just a group of friends, trying to bust each other's balls, Find the best stories and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.